Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Molly Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Why is Genesis 3 one, one of the most important chapters in the Bible? Why? Okay, God made a promise. Awesome. Why else? What did, why did he have to make a promise? Because of sin. Because sin was, is, was introduced into the human experience. Now, this word for sin, there's a couple different words that are translated sin in Hebrew. And one of the words is avan. Avon, like your Avon lady, Avon. And um, I'm sure that's not why Avon named. Okay, now I have ruined the product line for all of you. But it comes from the root word Ava, which means bent or crooked, crooked or distorted. And the same word is used like in, in Lamentations 3 when it describes a road that was bent or crooked. As some of you are... I've got San Francisco on the brain tonight because the San Francisco 49ers are playing in the Super Bowl tonight, right? But San Francisco is actually home of what is considered the most crooked road in America. And it is Lombard Street. Have you guys seen this as road? It's got eight hairpin turns in a really short, short little um, stretch there. And it is the idea, this is the idea of the word of crooked, of bent. It was something that um, God had a, a glorious plan for humanity that he set forth, forth in Genesis 1 and 2, right? And Kevin introduced us to that last week, that God has he's made creation and he calls it good. It's a very good. And God says, hey, this is the plan that I am, this is the highway for humanity that I have set up. And it is man will carry my image. This is what Kevin shared last week. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. He'll embody my very image, the likeness of God, and represent God on earth. That man will walk around in the blessing. He'll carry the absolute blessing of, of God on this earth, and he'll go on this mission to rule with God on his behalf on earth. He'll go and multiply and rule and reign and subdue, and it was amazing, this brilliant plan. But here in Genesis 3, we see that there was a distortion in this image of any, everything that was good and beautiful. There was a bend, a crooked bend, a pivot point in this plan. And sin, sin came in and threw the whole thing out of whack, dislocated the whole plan. And this is why we have suffering in our world today. This was the before and after moment, right? This is what explains everything that's wrong with us today, why there is evil and pain and suffering and injustice in our world today. Everything that went wrong started right here in this moment. And here we have, in this, on this crooked path now, we, we experience the consequences of sin in our lives today, don't we? There's pain and there's suffering. We find ourselves like a crooked path. Um, sometimes just go, end up places we never wanted to go. We never wanted to be in this dead end of, of dealing with fear or dealing with shame or pain or a fallout, the consequences of our bad choices or someone else's bad choices, even down our history line where we are in this cycle where things, we're living in some distortion of how God actually, the glorious plan that he intended for our lives. And what I want to do today is I want to go back to this pivot point. And I want to examine 
what was happening in Genesis, Genesis 3 at this moment. And I want to see where this whole thing got bent out of shape in the first place. I want us to do kind of like um, the, the math problem where, um, you know how you get to like higher level math? Um, for me, that was high school math. Nowadays, our kids are doing it in fourth grade, right? But right back then, I was a junior. I was a junior in high school when I was experiencing those math problems that are like 15 steps, right? And your teacher would say, show your work. Why? Because if you ended up in the wrong place, you could go back 12 steps and figure out where the whole thing went wrong, right? And you can make some corrections and move on towards the right answer. So that's what I want us to do today is I want us to look at where this whole thing got bent out of shape so we can make some adjustments and some corrections and we can get to the end. We can get to the end in truth, a glorious plan that God has for us, okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to slow down and look at how, how was the enemy, how was Satan able to lure Adam and Eve away from obedience in Genesis 3? Because if we can look at that, I'm going to tell us today that we can prepare for the sin vitation, right? We can prepare for the, we can decline, RSVP, no, we can decline that sin vitation. So let's look at what tactics the enemy used to get us off this glorious highway that God had intended. So here's what I want to say. I want to look at the tactics of the enemy. And as I was reading Genesis 3, it starts right in the beginning with um, the very first, first verse there. We see that Satan came subtly and he came clothed as a familiar animal, a snake. I think this is so fascinating. He didn't show up like the red, you know, like scary, terrifying demon. He came as something familiar to Adam and Eve in their environment, in their setting. And he came in so subtly because all he did was he came in with a conversation. He just wanted to lure Eve into a dialogue. Satan used dialogue to, to get Eve to start considering an alternative narrative. This is what he was after. Consider another version of truth, Eve. Just come on in and consider another version of the story. Because if he could get her to start considering an alternative narrative, he could distort the image of God. He could distort the truth of who God had been and was to Adam and Eve. That he could get her to come to her own conclusions about God. So he comes in with this subtle conversation and he just starts asking some questions. Would you just consider that God is wrong? Would you just consider that God didn't mean what he said. Did he really say, would you, Eve, would you just consider that God is withholding something good for you that you could have better, Eve? This alternative narrative, just teed it up. Would you just consider that God doesn't know exactly what is best for you? And this alternative narrative caused her to look with her eyes. You see that she saw the fruit and she came to her own conclusions about the, about the fruit. But there was evidence there, wasn't there? That if she could get that, if he could get that alternative narrative planted, she could consider, she could see. She could see what she was looking for through that, that lens of that alternative narrative. So she could see that that fruit of the tree was good for food. She could see it. She could see evidence of it. And when I was reading this, all of a sudden I had this moment of like, hold up, hold up. 
Eve, you are seeing this fruit in the context of Eden. Like I was like, hold on for a second. You are surrounded, Eve, by nothing but paradise. All around you is nothing. There is a greater narrative that surrounds Eve in this tree moment, isn't there? Like look at all that surrounds you. Groves and groves of trees that God put there, right? Like How'd those get there, Eve? Did you plant those trees? You know, and and then I just kind of rolled through the facts. I went back and looked at Genesis 1 and 2 and just rolled through the facts. And here's what I found. Every tree had fruit and seeds and green plant for food in Genesis 1.29. Like God made an ecosystem. He thought of an ecosystem that these trees would grow and flourish and continue on their own. He put seeds in the fruit that they would just multiply and reproduce themselves. It's amazing. He planted this garden and he called the garden Eden, which actually translates delight. And he put man in the middle of delight, of his delight, that Adam and Eve had got to live in the very center of the delight of God. They were surrounded by delight. Like that's amazing. That is an amazing amazing thing that God did. Not only that, that um, God made all kinds of trees, all kinds. Like, think about it. He could have made, I think about this often because I like food, one kind of food, right? It could have been one kind of food and you just, oatmeal, you just eat it and it gets the stuff in the system and you go on with, no, he made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. And they were pleasing to the eye and good food. You know, like this is why Instagram eats first, right? Like we get to take it in with our senses and smell it and eat. It's amazing that he made that. Then on top of that, God, he says he put man in the garden in, two, in Genesis 2.15 to work it and take care of it. He built into us purpose and significance. Like, go do work. Go work and enjoy the challenge of it and do something, create something. Look back and look at the fruit of your labor and enjoy it, right? It wasn't like a heavy thing. It was a good thing. And then, on top of that, an amazing moment, he made a helper suitable. He's like, let's make this even better, right? Like, you need uh, someone that will, that will complete you, and so we're going to make a woman and we're going to put this pair together in Genesis 2.20. And they were naked and there was no shame. They were naked and they didn't even care. You know, like this is an amazing context. And then Adam and Eve, they get to walk freely in the garden in absolute, complete, perfect, perfect friendship and union with this God. They get to know his presence. They get to be fully known and fully know God, living in his love, living in his image and care. It's like abundance and joy and peace, like nonstop. Eve is living the best story, the best narrative of all time when we hit Genesis 3, right? It doesn't get any better, Eve, than what you have right now. But if Adam and Eve, if they could disobey God, in Eden, right? Like this is mind blowing to me that they could consider an alternative narrative in the context of what they're living in. Like I would get it if they were maybe living in the, have you heard of the Atacama Desert? The Atacama Desert's in Chile and um, some place, some parts of this desert haven't seen rain in 400 years. It's like one of the most inhospitable places to live. In fact, um, 
NASA goes there and does their practice the Mars mission because it's essentially like living on Mars. It's like such a rough, like, okay, so like if, if you're like in the, that, like maybe you would consider uh, an, an escape plan from like the context you're, no, she's in Eden for crying out loud. She was in Eden. How do you entertain an idea of better than that, Eve? How? But here's the deal. This is how the enemy still works in our lives today. He has one plan in his playbook, and he still does this, coming in subtly, in a very familiar-sounding way, to just consider an alternative narrative to all you have already. Just consider an alternative narrative. Is God good? Like, could I have better than this? Is there more? Do I deserve something more? Do I deserve to have what I don't have? So here's where we found the enemy derailing this perfect plan that God had for humanity. So what can be done to prepare? When we see these tactics right in front of us, what can we do to prepare? Well, I want to give us three things that we can do right now to prepare for this, this invitation that is coming our way. And the first thing is this, identify talking snakes. Identify talking snakes. Now, a talking snake is someone or something that tries to sell you this alternative narrative about God, about who he's revealed himself to be in the word, who he has said that he would be throughout time. It's someone or something that will begin to call into question God's nature, his promises, his truth. It begins to just call in his love, his care, his triumph, the things that we have seen him do throughout history in the word. Because Eve should have, in an instant, walked away from an alternative narrative. She should have said, listen, snakes don't talk. <laughs> you know, like, you can't talk to me. You are a snake. Don't enter in to a dialogue with a talking snake. Don't consider a perspective that is offered from the mouth of a talking snake, guys. So where are talking snakes in your life? Things that talk to you about, hey, did God really say he was going to do that? Will he really come through Places that you begin to question and doubt his nature of faithfulness, his presence, his ultimate good. What circumstances, what experiences are talking to you? So here's an example from my life. This week on Friday, um, Kevin and I put on a marriage seminar here at church, and we had so much fun. We did. It was so fun. Um, but, but all week, I felt like I was back in junior high throwing a party. Is anyone going to come? No one's going to come. I cannot tell you how many times I got on to check our attendance. Carly probably saw like the spike, massive spike in the app because I was like seven times a day. Is anyone coming? Is anyone coming? Is anyone coming? Why? Because I am, disappointment was telling me this isn't going to work. Actually, disappointment was telling me, Molly, you have nothing helpful to offer. And we told our, our, um, marriage counselor, we were doing this, and I said it like this, 
I'm so embarrassed. Don't laugh. We're doing a marriage seminar. You know, like why? Because I'm like, we're, we're still figuring it out. Like, I don't know. I don't have anything to offer. This is the enemy comes in with this alternative narrative all the time in my life. Molly, you have nothing helpful to offer. Good try, but it's not going to work. You're going to be a failure at this because no one cares. <laughs> you know, like this is what he says to me over and over and over again. What about you? What about you? Do you have a circumstance that's telling you you are hopeless? Or this disappointment that you're experiencing that tells you that God is farther away than you thought? Or this challenge that you're going through that's telling you you've got to work harder um, because you are all on your own. If, you're gonna, if it's going to be successful, it is all up to you. You've got to figure it out. Maybe it's like, see, you're stuck in this job. There's nothing else coming. There's no, it's not going to get any better than this, right? Or maybe for some of you, you're like, you know what? That, they may experience healing, not me. They may hear from God. God may speak to them. They may be able to open the Bible and hear from God, not me, right? The Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, but my flesh, right? Like we, we just let these things talk to us and talk to us. We entertain these thoughts and conversations because they're familiar and they're subtle, right? Maybe feel very, very natural. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one second. I like to pause and say, let's just not wait. Let's just do this now. I want to give you 30 seconds to just think for a minute. Where is a, a talking snake in my life? What experience that I've had, what circumstance that's speaking louder than the truth of who God has revealed himself to be in his word? I'm going to give you just like 30 seconds. Is there a pressure, some sort of stress, a challenge? <clears throat> I would like you to have ready on hand. I don't talk to snakes. I do not converse with snakes. That no one and nothing has the right to call the nature of God into question in my life. I see you, you're a talking snake, and I will not, I will not question. I will not consider that alternative narrative. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. And Paul gave us this because he knew we would need it because this is how our life goes. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God because there will be arguments and lofty opinions that will call into question the knowledge of God in our lives. And so he said, this is just what we do. We just demolish strongholds. We just tear them down, right? This, is, this has got to be for us just an idea of normal Christian living. I will tear those things down. I will find them. I will identify those talking snakes and I will tear down that lofty opinion. I don't talk to, I don't talk to snakes, okay? That's our first thing. Second thing that I'm going to ask us to do, if we are going to decline this invitation, besides identify talking snakes, I want us to take in Eden. I want us to take in Eden. And here's just a, a reminder of, I kind of uh, was already alluding to this, but Eve participated in sin surrounded by Eden. So here's the, here's the truth. Eve had enough resource around her to overcome that temptation and lie about God. It was all around her. Her setting screamed of the goodness and glory of God as creator, as friend, as provider, trustworthy. It was, it was right outside her window, right guys? It was right there under her nose the whole time. Everything that God had done and that God had given. She was surrounded by, again, groves and groves of trees. She didn't have to wait for the three-hour delivery window. <sighs> right? 
for her food to come. No, she didn't have to wait three hours. And like, think about the, again, the quality. This stuff is fresh. Like, don't we love a good farmer's market in October, right? Like, did you pick this today? You did. Okay, then it will come home with me. Or like, when you're at the apple orchard and you pick that apple off the tree, there is nothing better. This was her normal. This was her go-to. The variety, it's all yours. It's all yours, right? And then they got to live in, in just this close proximity to the one who made it all, the creator of it all, the inventor of it all. He was right there out in the open. How do we know that? Well, Romans 1.20, it says, it says this, that through creation, through what God has made, that we all see his invisible qualities and divine nature. We get to see them. They are, they're clearly seen. They're on display in what he has made, in the, in the sky, in the rivers, in the things that surround us. So she got to know his power and nature through what was right outside her window, right? She got to know that. But she let her gaze drop for a second on, on her surroundings, didn't she? She let her gaze drop for a second to the one piece of fruit. That's it. That's all it took. And for a moment, she just disconnected from the pile of evidence that was all around her that was meant to overcome that alternative narrative. So don't let your eyes wander. Don't let your eyes wander. Enjoy the view of Eden, all that is in your backyard, church. God has put it there. Take it in. Take it in. God, thank you for this garden. Thank you for the mandate of significance that I get from my work. I'm taking that in. God, thank you. Thank you for the variety of things that you have created for me. I see those pomegranates and they're hilarious, right? Like take them in, take them in. What he's given, it's like better than what Wonka could have ever come up with. The everlasting gobstopper. I got to stop on Wonka for a second. I love Willy Wonka. Did you guys see the new movie? Okay. How many of you guys saw it and you, you're like a dreamer and you were like crying with me, laughing with me. Like I'm a dreamer. So I am so moved by a dream, a dream in your hat and a penny in your, you're going to do this Wonka. And like, I look over at Kevin and he's snoring. <laughs> How could you? Look at what he's creating. Look at what he's going to do to the world, right? Like, oh, okay. So, the, okay. All right, that was my, keep, right, get off Wonka. Okay, keep going. But the point is like, there's enough in your life. There is enough in your life to thrill you and to captivate you by the goodness of God. There's enough in your life. He's provided enough bounty to fascinate you. God is fascinating. Will you be fascinated by him? Will you? That choice is yours moment to moment. Rehearse the goodness of God. Keep it on your lips. Keep it in front of your eyes. Revelation 12, 11 says this, they triumphed over the enemy. They triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of of their testimony. They rehearsed it, and they rehearsed it, and they rehearsed it, and it kept them until the end. I wanted this for us, you guys. This is how I got out of my alternative narrative this week. Thank you, Lord, for 50 degrees in February, 
and I was out walking and I was just like, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for my job. Thank you for these people. Thank you that I, I, you know, I, I have a healthy body. Thank you that I get to enjoy the sunshine today. Thank you that our Christmas lights are coming down soon. Thank you. I'm prophesying that in as I'm walking. God, thank you for your help. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you. You've never let me down. Never let me down. Rehearse the goodness of God. Because here's the deal. As we live in his goodness, as we live in it, nothing can call it into question. As we are amazed by God, doubt has no space, does it? It's like, sorry, the agenda is full. (laughs) I don't have time or space for whatever the enemy is trying to work in. Okay, take in Eden. Church, take it in. You're resourced for it. You're resourced for it. Okay, so I want you to identify talking snakes, take an Eden, and then I want you to embrace your limitations. Embrace your limitations. So many people ask, why did God put that tree in the garden in the first place? Like, was this a trick? Like, if God is good, why was there even an option for temptation? Let me give you just a new perspective on the placement of this tree in the garden. I think that God put that tree in place, and it was a limitation. It was a boundary, Don't eat from this one tree, right? Don't eat from it. It is clearly out of bounds. But in God's glory, even limitations produce good in our lives. Let me explain. Let me explain. That tree was an opportunity for Adam and Eve to live within God's brilliant plans for humanity. And it was there to remind them, you are created people and I am creator. You are man and I am God. And you will not be God, I will be God, right? It was an opportunity to choose to live within the context that he created so he could be God, that he could be provider and sustainer, that he could keep this whole thing going, that they could draft behind the power of his divinity, right? That they could just catch the momentum of everything that he spun into being and they could just roll with his good plans, that he could be the power source and the wisdom and the sustainer of it all. But they had to choose to live as man and not God. And this is hard for us, guys. This is hard for us because we want to call the shots. We want to like have the power. I, I know it's, if it, you really looked on paper, you'd be like, no thanks, but no, really we do. We really do want this, right? I told Kevin that the next time we go to Europe, I want to do it on a cruise because we did the pack, backpacking thing where you carry all your stuff. And I feel like we spent the entire time trying to look up train schedules and where are we going to stay and trying to get from place to place and where do you eat in this foreign land, right? It's like, hey, Tower Eiffel, no time to stop. We're going to the train. You know, like that's what the entire trip felt like. So next time, I want to do the cruise where you just get on and they take you to your next stop. You sleep in your room under your down blanket with your silk pillowcase and you wake up, hello, Positano, right? Like that's what I want to do. I want to do it like that. And this is why I feel like the invitation from God, let me be God. Let me get you there. You sit back. You just come with me. Let me call the shots. Choose, choose to be okay with these limitations where we go, you know what, God, this isn't how I wanted it to go. This feels like I'm hemmed in here. This feels like a boundary. I don't like this limitation, but it is a reminder that you are God. 
It's a reminder that I live in relationship where I am dependent on you. Where do you have limitations? Are you in a season, a place in your life where you just feel like, I didn't want this to happen. I didn't want to find myself here. I didn't want it to go this way. Maybe you're a pastor of a church post-COVID and you didn't want to have to go through the loss and you didn't want to have to see things, you know, you just want everything to go up and to the right, right? Like just, this is the way we like our charts, all the way up, right? And here I am, here I am, but it is an opportunity to open my hands and say, God, you are God and I trust you. If you need a reminder of that, please go back and read Job 38 to 42. In Job's loss and in his suffering, when he came before God, God was like, do you accuse me? Well, let me, let me give you a little reminder. And he took him through all that he did and how he set the world in place and the storehouses and how he did, what, you know, how he raised up the animals to work and all the things that he put in place. And Job at the end of it was like, I cover my mouth. I am not God. You are so far above. And so many times I feel like I'm right there up, up there with you, but you are other and you're in charge. And you're in charge. So will you choose to embrace the limitations that you experience on this earth? The things we can't make happen to open up our hands. You are God. You are God. Okay, so Genesis 3 isn't just an ancient story, guys. This is how I'm going to wrap this whole thing up. God actually had a plan in place before the foundation of the world for the crooked road. Did you know that? He knew the path. He knew that there was going to be a bend and it just, it, you know, this whole thing was going to disorient itself. And he had a plan in place before the foundation of time for our road, for our path. And today the enemy still wants to lure us off. He still does. He's still trying, but God provided. Look at what God said promised this through the prophet Isaiah way, way before Jesus was even born. And he says this, I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and the crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. And then we have the next chapter, John the Baptist, the one who is preparing the way for Jesus, who's telling us he's coming and he's coming soon. The Savior and this Messiah, this, this one that, that God had a plan for before the foundation of the earth. And, and John is calling out in the desert. He says, you know, he's preparing the way for Jesus. And this is what he says about our day. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth and all mankind will see God's salvation well, all mankind has seen God's salvation. This is the day that we live in. And this is what Paul wrote about it in Ephesians 1. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, the one who took all of our crooked ways on himself, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by our misdeeds, by all of the things that we've distorted and the consequences of our choices. And not just barely free either, abundantly free, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth, every crooked path made straight that rises up to meet our feet. 
And so I just want us to take in for a second the brilliant ways that God works, that he knew that there would be a crookedness that would come into humanity, and he said, I can fix that. I can make that straight again. And now here we are, abundantly free. Abundantly free. So let's stay in our freedom. Let's not partner, let's not converse with um, talking snakes, right? Let's not, let's not forget about the Eden view from our window, and let's embrace our limitations. Why don't we stand up? I'll pray over us. I think for a second we can just be amazed by God, just fascinated by him for a second. And I just want to start there. The view that we have is so important, guys. We get to choose where we put our eyes. And so here we are this morning. God, with our eyes on your throne. Our attention on the glory of the Father. The beauty of Jesus. The wonder of the Creator. God, will you teach us? Will you renew awe in us? I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our day, guys. Renew awe. Renew wonder. And then let it lead to just gratitude for the Eden you you have, that he's provided, the garden that he's made for you in your life. God, where we've stepped into some entitlement in our lives, where we've questioned who you are and who you will be for us, we just want to lay down that alternative narrative right now. And I just sense just the Holy Spirit's power to help us disconnect from that narrative. I just feel like he's, he's like, it feels like just like such a simple, like little like thing for him today. So I just want some of you who need to disconnect from that narrative, like just let God do that.